Every time. Well, this morning we have Confirmation Sunday, and it is a Sunday that I have been looking forward to all year. I am a Confirmation uh, junkie. I love it so much, which sounds weird, and especially sounds weird when you find out I actually was never confirmed. I didn't join the covenant until I was in high school, and so we didn't have like Confirmation in high school. And um, it's just been as I've become a youth pastor and have been walking this journey um, in the covenant church that I've learned what Confirmation is. So just in case we have some friends out here that have never heard of confirmation and you're like, what are you talking about right now? Let's talk a little bit about what confirmation is. Um, So here at Roseville and within the uh, wider Covenant Church, confirmation is a a journey for our middle school students to walk through the Bible and discipleship in order for the end goal to be to stand before you and be confirmed in their faith, to be able to stand up and say, this is what I believe and this is why I believe it. And so for the last three years, they have been walking through um, this journey with Dean Erickson, um, He is our confirmation teacher who unfortunately could not be here this morning because his grandbaby is being uh, baptized in Milwaukee, and so he needed to be there, which is great, Um, and we miss him this morning. Um, But confirmation is more than just this journey for our students, and when they stand before you in a little while and are confirmed, it's not just about the words that they will say. It's about an act of the church coming around them as the family of God and the family of Christ. It's about them being able to see and to look out at the people who have walked alongside of them or will continue to walk alongside of them and see a family, see brothers and sisters in Christ who are standing with them. And so this morning, as we confirm Ben and Anders and as they, we are led in worship by our students, we are surrounding them as a church family. And we are saying that we are in their corner and we are on this journey with them. Because there is no graduation from confirmation. They don't ever get to the place where they will be done being formed spiritually. It is a journey that we all are on together, and we are surrounding them in faithful witness. And so this morning, as we talk a little more about this text, would you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the ways that you have um, been in Ben and Anders' lives, the ways that you have formed them and created them and gifted them. God, we thank you for this chance this morning um, to come together and talk about what it means to be salt and light of this world. Pray that you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears to hear your words. In your name we pray, amen. The verses we have before us this morning in Matthew are come straight from the covenant book of worship. It's the verses chosen for Confirmation Sundays. And so all um, over the country right now, I'm sure there are other uh, Confirmation Sundays that are talking about what it means to be the salt and the light of the world. They uh, are chosen because they contain a portrait of what it means to be a disciple of Christ, but also a mission to follow Jesus and show him into the world. And so as we choose these verses to read over our students and to later to give them the symbols of salt and light, we are giving them a mission in this world to stand apart as the salt and the light of the earth. But if we're going to say that, we should probably talk about what that means, right? So a few years ago, I had a high school student come up to me after a youth group, and he asked me about this passage, this very passage we have before us tonight, or today, and he, um, he said it kept coming up in his world, that people kept saying things to him about being the salt and the light, and he wanted to know what it meant. 
And so I told him that if, if it kept coming up in his life, it probably meant that God was trying to tell him something. And he agreed, and then he decided that he didn't want to talk about it with me until he did his own little research. And so I was like, okay, great, like come back and let me know. Um, little did he know that like two Sundays later was Confirmation Sunday, and I was going to be preaching on that text, and it was going to be brought in front of him one more time. Um, but he went on his way, and he decided he was going to try and, t- and wrestle with what that meant. And as we read this scripture, it might sound familiar. We probably have heard the phrases salt of the earth or light of the world before. It's that kind of scripture passage where you can read it and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. Not a lot of extra questions until you really think about like, what does it mean to be the salt of the earth, right? Because in our world today, it's kind of gotten a little like, muddy to understand what that means. Some people could say that the salt of the earth is like a, a good like homegrown person who like knows how to work the earth. <laughs> I don't actually know. Uh, but in this context that Jesus is talking about, it comes right after the Beatitudes. It comes right after this portrait of um, what a disciple looks like and what will be promised to them in the kingdom of God if they um, act that way. And then comes these four verses um, in the Sermon of the Mount, and it's, it furthers this picture of what it means to be a disciple, and then it gives a mission um, to the disciples that Jesus is preaching to. To be the salt and the light in the world is to have purpose. Both of these are common in Jesus' time, and both have specific purposes in their world. If the Beatitudes leave the impression that being a disciple of Jesus is passive, then these four verses correct that misunderstanding. So let's talk about salt. In the ancient world where Jesus was speaking, salt had two main purposes. The one we know to add flavor and interest, which is what we still use salt for today. And the second one was to preserve meat and protect it from bacteria in a day where they didn't have refrigeration or refrigerators, they would um, put salt on the meat in order to keep it um, from going bad, from getting bacteria into the meat. So when Jesus starts this section off by saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how can it be made salty again? This would have been seen in that time as kind of a rhetorical question, because how can salt change? How can the actual like, bowl of salt be anything different than what it is? It's a, it's a chemical, it's NaCl, right? It's a chemical thing. How can that change without some like, massive science experiment that back then um, they wouldn't necessarily have had? So what's actually being said here from Jesus is that it's not that we're changing what salt is, it's that we're taking other things and mixing it with the salt, and then the salt loses its purpose. Back then, because they didn't have refrigeration, salt was something um, that was kind of a commodity. So you could get a lot of money if you took other powders and mixed it with the salt and sold it as salt. But if you mix other things with the salt, then it's not as good anymore, right? Because those other places cause a weakness in the salt. So what Jesus is saying here is that it's not necessarily that your salt is gonna lose its saltiness. That doesn't really happen. But what can happen is you can have other things change the effectiveness of the salt because impurity comes in and changes it. And if that happens, then it becomes useless. Jesus says, you might as well throw it out and let it be trampled. 
Then he says that disciples are um, the light, not to be hidden. Because what good is hiding a light? What if in here we had just covered all of the lights and then we couldn't see anything, right? What's the point of having a light if you're just going to cover it? The function of light is to make reality and truth visible, thereby giving direction and guidance by what is seen. So Jesus says that we should let our light shine for others so they may look at the good deeds and see the Father, to give glory to the one who gives light inside of us. So back to my student a few years ago, a couple weeks later he came back to me and he uh, he looked really concerned all throughout youth group. And then at the end of youth group, he came up to me and he said, I've been thinking about this salt and light thing. And I was like, all right, what do you think? And he said, if, if salt is supposed to be trampled, if it's not salty anymore, how am I supposed to like, to be salty? Like, what does that mean? And if I lose my saltiness, does that mean I can't ever get it back? What happens then? And so I was like, well, are you ready to talk about this? And he was like, no, not yet. <laughs> Little glimpse into the life of a youth pastor. And I said, okay, like, all right, we'll, we'll wait. So off he went again, and I thought back to the day of his confirmation. I thought back to the day that we put a pinch of salt on his tongue and we gave him the light, and I could see that he was wrestling with what happens when I lose my saltiness. Because all of the stories of Jesus speak of grace and that you can come back to the Father, but this one verse seems really confusing to me because it says that if you lose your saltiness, you're going to be trampled underfoot. And I saw him wrestling with that. So we'll come back to him in a second. When I was learning how to read the Bible in seminary, um, our professors loved to point out things in the, uh, like the biblical text that made it really important to pay attention to. They had all these little like, shorthands to watch out for when you're reading the text, and one of them was called the emphatic you. They would always talk about that. And in the, we would be in like New Testament class, and somebody would be talking about a, a reference, and then they'd be like, well, you know, there's an emphatic you in this. And we'd be like, Okay. And what an emphatic you is, is that in um, the biblical language that the New Testament is written, their verbs are much like the verbs in like Spanish or French, where you can change the, the makeup of the word for the person that you're talking about, right? So subject and verb become one word. So you don't really need to add a subject. Whereas in English, we have to say like, I go to the store, she goes to the store. In um, the biblical language, that is one word. But sometimes... What happens is that the writer of the biblical text will add in the subject extra on top of the word that already has the subject in it. And they call that an emphatic you because it's an extra you that doesn't need to be in there. But it's calling attention to what we're talking about. So in this text, we have two emphatic yous. So if you were to literally translate it, it would say you, you are the salt of the earth, and you you are the light of the world. And what scholars believe about these texts is that the reason that the emphatic you is in there is that what Jesus is saying is that you are already the salt and the light. It is not a level that you can achieve. It is not a thing you can become. You are created to be the salt and the light. And so if you can't become it, 
you also can't really lose it. It's just in you. But it's a warning still, because there are still things in the world that you can mix in with your flavor that are not pure, that are not of God, and it can weaken your saltiness. And so as funny as it is to say the word salty over and over again, um, the disciples are not being challenged to become salty. They're challenged to stay salty. And that's a difference because one of them is something that you have to work for. And the other one means that you just have to be who you are and who you were created to be. So back to my student, he came up to me after another little while and he told me that Jesus was giving him a warning. That the warning in this text is to remember that you have to fight for your saltiness. That you have to make sure that you're doing the things and surrounding yourself with the people that are gonna continue to bring out that salt. Because what Jesus is saying here is that if we are the salt of the earth, that we are meant to stand out and bring flavor into the world. And that flavor that we bring to the world is God's kingdom. In a world where there are a lot of other little kingdoms that can be reigning, we are called to be the salt that gives the flavor of God's kingdom. And to be the light that shows what God's kingdom looks like. We're not supposed to hide our light and we're not supposed to let our salt become impure. So we ask ourselves, how do we remain salty? And how do we shine our lights for all to see? It's a challenge for disciples of Christ to be able to know what it means to be salty, to surround yourself with people. And as we talk about confirmation and as we show our students how to read the Bible and how to turn to the Bible in their times of need, how to turn to their families and their leaders and the people around them, we are teaching them to keep their saltiness. And so when we confirm them and we give them the salt and the light, we're really giving them the tools to remember that they are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, walking alongside of them, caring for them, and encouraging them on their journey as they continue to be the salt and the light of the world that they were created to be. Let's pray. Gracious God, You have given us such a gift in Jesus and in one another. This morning as we confirm our students, God, would you um, shine through them? Would you give them um, that snapshot of what it means to be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses in this time this morning? Would we remember what it means to be salty and to let our lights shine? In your holy name we pray, amen.